Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to mix things up a bit. Instead of brainstorming a problem one of us is dealing with, we're going to discuss a topic that Rick is trying to understand better for a book that he's writing. That topic is the role emotions play in a business, especially in terms of leadership and interpersonal relationships at work. But before we dive into that, let's give some updates on what we've been up to. So how's it going this week, Rick? It's good. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good. I'm, I, I love holiday weeks uh, because no one else is working, so there's not a lot of crap getting in my way. <laughs> so I've, I'm always productive. But you you went out of town and kind of took a vacation for Thanksgiving, right? I did. I went to Myrtle. And uh, if you're from the East Coast, that's a that's like the party town in college. Mm-hmm. It's on the beach in South Carolina. So, so if you if you went to college in North Carolina, South Carolina, or maybe Virginia, you know when someone says Myrtle, you, you think of like solo cups walking up and down the beach, staying in crappy hotels. Is that, that is weird? Not- for, like you you went as a family trip with like kids and stuff, right? So I learned that there's this whole other experience at Myrtle that has super nice restaurants, uh, like shows, like Vegas shows, uh, and you know, families that are kind and not drunk on well, the beach. That's boring, but okay. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was fun. Uh, it, most importantly, I just get to catch up with my family because they're in North Carolina. I'm in Utah, and it, I don't have the opportunity to see everyone in one mm-hmm. place very often. So it's that one time yeah, of year. Cool. You just, you just worked, huh? I mean, I spent Thanksgiving with my parents, but I, I live in the same city as them. So it's, it's a nice to see them, but I see them every week or two. So it's not as big of a deal as it is for you. Well, do you want to start with your updates? Sure. For yeah. Change? Oh, weird. Uh, I'm used to, I'm used to getting a little lead in from you doing it. Uh, yeah. So like I said, pretty productive over the holidays, especially just, uh, coding, which is uh, every time I get to say that I spend some time coding, I feel good. Uh, kind of completely changed how the how our Less Annoying CRM's app is structured at a high level, which customers will never notice. But like if you are on a desktop with a big screen and you like make the screen narrower uh, and it goes into mobile view, everything was messing up before and now it uh, handles that well. So that was fun. Um, the, the big thing going on, so two things actually related to uh, episodes we've done in the past couple months. So one is last week we talked about like product roadmap planning for Less Annoying CRM. So I've been doing a lot of time, uh, spending a lot of time thinking about that. I took a couple of your suggestions in particular, uh, sent a, it ended up being two different surveys out to the company. Well, first I sent an email out to the company that was like, here's, uh, here's where we're at. Like over the, the full year, we've been figuring out what we want to do with product you know, long journey. I kind of talked through everything and then got everyone up to speed. And then I basically said, now we need to plan what's next. And so I sent some surveys out to see what people want. How did that go? Uh, good and bad. It, it's good in that I, I think, like you said, one of the, I think one of the most important points you made to me uh, last week was regardless of what the outcome is, it's important to have everyone a part of the process. And like they all experienced how hard it is to prioritize uh, when you have all these things you want to do and you only get to do a few. I think it was really valuable having them all like feel my pain a little bit. <laughs> uh, the bad thing is everybody wants different stuff. 
And everyone's very passionate about what they want, where like someone will leave a comment like, I can't believe we don't have this. It's embarrassing. This is the only thing customers ask about. And then a different customer service person will be like, say the exact same thing, but about a totally different feature. So there's just no consistency at all about what people want, which is good and bad. It's good because it means whatever we do, someone will be happy, but also someone will not be happy. <laughs> do, you th- do you see that this discussion leads to some more more communication and better communication that leads to maybe better prioritization down the road, even if this particular planning session was a little rough? It definitely causes more communication. Something I think I realize that not everyone, most, most of the company hasn't been here very long. I mean, maybe a couple of years, but not obviously as long as I have. One thing is like two years from now, all this stuff's going to be done. So c- kind of who cares what order we do it in? Um, so I'm not, I'm still a little uncertain, like what the true value is of do we, if we get this exactly perfect, is that really that much better than getting it wrong, but just get it like diving in and getting it done? Yeah, I, I, I struggled with this too. I was definitely at Zane benefits. My era at Zane benefits was very much a, I will, we'll get things done and worry about the ramifications of getting mm-hmm. it done later. And then people keep, I think I overcorrected on too much communication and not enough getting done. Um, but man, there's gotta be a happy middle spot somewhere there. But I I think we may be in that middle spot because I've already constrained the problem so much that like only certain things are on the table to talk about. So I feel really good about it. And the product team has just been, we've shipped what I would consider a major update, like twice a week for the last three weeks. Um, now we've been working on these things for months, but they all kind of came together. So we shipped today. We launched Outlook Calendar Sync. It's like officially live, which is a huge feature for us. We also launched major improvement to custom fields today. Just coincidentally, they finished on the same day. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we put out the redesign. So lots of big good stuff going on on the product side. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling very uh, you know high momentum, energetic, and sorry to monopolize this, but the other update I've got is we were talking a while back about the referral program for Less Knowing CRM. So I made some changes. I have a much bigger like multi-step project, but the first step of it I deployed earlier this week, which was basically making a new referral page in our app. So in, like we have a page that kind of explains if you refer someone, here's your link, you'll get a free month, they'll get a free month, that type of thing. I changed the positioning a lot. It's still the same offer, free month thing, but it's all about you know, we're a small business. We're way cheaper than our competition. You know, we can't, there's no way we can compete with Salesforce on marketing. We rely on customers to share the word. Will you do us a favor and refer people basically? Um, And then also we put a link in the main navigation bar to get to the referral page, which before it was a little harder to find. So really preliminary, but the last three days have all been the highest three days pretty much all year in terms of traffic to that page. So I think it's working. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I mean, it was so bad before, like out of, I think it was out of 6 million sessions, we had about 3000 people hit the page. So like it was getting no traffic before. So this was really easy to improve, but it's nice seeing that. That's cool. What what is the plan forward? Is it to watch what happens with this and decide later what to do next? Or do you have other plans? Um, The goal is to drive as many people to that page as possible and not really worry about, is that working or anything, but just say, I think there's a number of other ways to get people to that page. One is from the login page we've talked about. One is after they fill out a NPS survey for us, if they like us, send them to that page. One is put it in the footers of uh, customer service emails. 
And then I'm going to build a tracking system to basically see what's actually working to get people to this page. And then maybe we can do more of that. I'm just kind of like hoping that if we can 10x the number of people that page, which seems realistic to me, uh, referrals just go up and I don't, I don't know what comes next, I guess. Yeah. So you have a pretty strong hype conviction that traffic's going to lead to more referrals, tap out the traffic and then worry about optimization down yep. the road. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, that's, I love hearing updates related to topics we fast, we've talked about mm-hmm. in the past because um, it furthers my learning on what you're dealing with too. And it also makes, uh, gives more meaning to the time we spend together. Yeah. Every week. I think we've talked like not on the podcast, but like offline that one of these days we'll do kind of a, we'll start cycling back on the same topics and say, okay, a year ago we said this, where are we now? Let's, let's do the next iteration of it. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, me too. So yeah, I've got a couple updates related to what we've been talking about. So I'll start with, um, I've been doing some planning around 2020 related to cash forecast. One quote from you that stuck with me, uh, this past week, uh, was be default alive versus default dead. And so that took that, that forced that quote rang through my planning as I modeled out the next 12 months, 13 months, including December of cash flow for leg up in each subsidiary venture. And, um, it, it forces a conservatism that I, w- I, I was doing kind of in my head, but not forcing myself in the model to do it, which was letting me like make some assumptions that were more default dead assumptions. Mm -hmm. Like the revenue is going to catch up before this becomes a problem. So I can go ahead and do this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so what, what I basically did was I basically assumed I only, I only put stuff in there where I was like, okay, I did a default dead scenario, which is basically like my existing income stays the same for my ventures, no increase. And then I have a consulting number on that. And then I modeled out like what would happen if I did the consulting thing and what I expect to have happen happens. And I don't have to worry about cash <laughs> for a long time. So like, so I feel much more motivated to go find a consulting mm-hmm. project that covers that gap because just the piece, like, I think it's going to put me in a position not, you know, not to worry and actually to be more likely to have the progress I want in my other ventures. So I can't, I'm really happy with where I ended up. And so now, now that I've got that nut, um, I'm trying to figure out what, what's the best way to, uh, fulfill that nut. Um, is it consulting or is it maybe some other creative way to make money that could have multiple benefits? Bank robbery, Um, anything uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So if, if, if everything goes well Um, here, you may do a stint of consulting in 2020 and like if if you know your ventures go well maybe this is the last year you ever do that is that fair to say yep cool yep. that's uh yep. it's not even to, even if that doesn't happen just to even be in a position where you can start seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel is nice it's cool uh it's really cool so um, I feel good about it. Uh, the other thing um, that I work, I'm working on right now uh, is I'm starting to ramp up my conversations on, because we talked about beta program a few weeks ago for my health insurance venture. I decided to call it Leg Up Health. I don't know what the name should be. I still am in too much learning uh, mode to properly position the company. And man, I love less annoying CRM because it says exactly what you guys are. Um, so I, I want to hold on picking a brand name for this venture until I, I know more about 
what I, about the differentiating value I want to provide. Um, so anyway, I've, I've, uh, I, at health.legupventures.com, I'm going to host uh, my no code website for the beta program. Um, it's not up yet. I was hoping to have it up by this podcast, but I'll have to do it afterwards. Um, and, uh, I've already had, two, uh, I've scheduled four beta user programs, four beta user interviews. Um, so far I've had one and that one converted into a beta user who has agreed to make me the broker in 2020 and joined um, the community, which I'm hosting on Slack. Uh, and so um, hopefully the other three um, will go as well. They're all scheduled for once tomorrow and two for next week. Well, I realize your goal is not just to be an insurance broker here, but like h- how much money does one make off a typical individual insurance policy? So uh, there's a couple of factors. One is number of people. Mm-hmm. And the second, well, actually, it's got really it's gotten much simpler. It used to be a percentage of premium. Now, a lot of carriers are moving to our per member per month. So, depending on the number of people that a policy has on the policy. So, for example, let's say I sell you a policy. You're not married yet. It would just be you mm-hmm. on the policy. You'd be one member. Whereas, if I sold a family of four, um, that family would would be four members, and I get four times the per member per month rate. The per, the per member per month rate is 15 bucks a month. So if I'm in an average family has about three members. So if I'm selling on the average person in the U S the average household in the U S um, I should be making somewhere between 30 and 45 bucks uh, per month on a recurring basis. So, you know, you having four beta users is certainly not gonna, you know, put a roof over your head, but that's not a meaningless amount of money coming. I mean, I, I realize that's not your long-term model, but you could potentially bootstrap this just by being an insurance broker. Yeah, totally. Uh, it, it definitely d- depends on, I, I don't fully understand what the cost requirements are t- in terms of time and t- in terms of being like acting as the broker. And I know that, um, right now it's probably much higher than what it will be in, in the summer. So we'll have to see how that yeah. goes. Cool. Awesome. Uh, any other updates? Or you want to dive into the topic? I just want to say the the health thing. So I've I've been working on a number of different ventures, and I have passion for each of them. But one thing I haven't been able to replace from people keep and Zane benefits is just how much I care about the problem that the business was trying to solve. And I, the more I work on this health leg up health is what I'll call it from now on. I, I, I'm the more excited I get, and I haven't felt that in about a year. Um, so I'm, I just, I feel some different kind of momentum like you, but like, it's more of like a, a, a burning inside <laughs> of me purpose momentum. That's awesome. Well, yeah. obviously, uh, do whatever you want, but l- let me just like give a little nudge, which is, I, th- I think it's a perfectly fine decision to like follow that momentum. You have a lot of stuff on your plate that you don't necessarily have to have on your plate. And if you think that that's not just a flash in the pan and you're going to stay motivated by that. There's a lot to be said for for doubling down on the thing that you really care about. I, I I'm not ready to put this in the update, but you're forcing me to. <laughs> One thing I need to talk to my wife about is the, some of the constraints we mm-hmm. placed. If I could have maybe a little bit, if we could delay a constraint, it might make sense to push off consulting uh, for a period of time to give more double down focus. Yeah. On. Well, there's that, but also you're writing a book and also you're learning to code and also you're doing your, uh, member management stuff. Like there's, there's other knobs you can turn here too. Uh, well, I, I, 
Yes. Um, and I've turned those knobs as much as I want to. The only knob that I'm what would be open to turning off is the consulting. I've, I've already minimized my okay. commitments across these other items um, to the extent that I'm willing okay. to. Cool. But thank you for that challenge. It's a sure. fair challenge. Uh, all right. Well, what are we talking about this week? So it's my week for the topic. Um, I don't really have a critical problem per se to bring you that I want to brainstorm with you, at least not more important than what I'm bringing to you today. Um, so I'm taking a slightly different approach with the topic I'm bringing. Um, I, and it could be a total bust. So uh, I'm prepared for bad feedback from this, from the audience. Um, but maybe, maybe this works. So I guess listeners out there, if you, if you listen to this, um, and you don't get value, please tell us, um, so that we don't repeat this, but if you do like it, please tell us because we'll have more confidence covering topics like this in the future. Um, I, uh, so, so now that I've got my writing cadence, going at ricklinquist.com. I spend two to three hours every morning before 9 a.m. researching and writing about topics of my choice. My goal is not to just throw out content. It's primarily learning through the process of writing. And so um, I want to write a book about um, emotions, leadership, and teams. And I'm starting to outline that book um, in terms of like what what are what would the table of contents be so it can drive my research? It's a because the re, I'm going to be learning a lot as I go because I'm not an expert on emotions by any means. I I, I know that that the the specific angle I'm going to take and the specific outline is going to change over time, but I hope that by constantly revising the outline based on what I'm learning, it can drive my short term and short form writing on a weekly basis. So that I'm constantly, I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm writing and fulfilling my what I want to do at ricklinquist.com in terms of outputting content, but I'm also learning the things necessary to uh, as part of research for this larger book. And it may take me a whole year to write this thing. It's just a question of putting a couple hours in a day, most days. So um, I I started this this week researching emotions and building the outline. Um, there. I was stunned. I'm stunned at how little agreement there is on how emotions work and how they impact people. Um, Most of what I'm reading is research and academic papers. I have not been able to find a ton of CEOs talking publicly about the role of emotions in leadership and in teams. Um, I personally think the reason, so kind of coming back to listeners out there, I personally think that this is a topic that we all need to talk about more because I have a hypothesize that we become we can become much better leaders if we're more in touch with our own emotions and others' emotions because how it's it's the basis for how we form trust um, with our strong relationships and that is the and trust is the ultimate, you know, success factor for a highly functioning team. But like, I'm trying, I'm trying to do research. I have an intent right now. I'm having trouble finding like layman's explanations of the stuff with consensus. So I was hoping today, um, that I could, I don't want to say interrogate, but I kind of 
have a feeling that that it, you know I need to ask you some tough questions. I want to ask you some tough questions about your experience with emotions, both from your you know how they happen in your head and on your and with your in your body and as a leader and CEO, and then also how you react and observe and handle emotions of team members um, and the day to day stuff. And I, I know you've, we've talked offline and made sure that it was okay, but is there anything that's off limits, like in terms of asking you questions? No, I mean, there might be, you know, I, I'm happy to share my own experiences and I might be a little more secretive if I feel like I'm exposing something about someone else who hasn't necessarily given permission, but, uh, for myself, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm an open book. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so, so if, you know, listeners, if, um, I think that the other thing that we want to do here is I want to model talk talking about this openly. So I'll also jump in with my own insights on emotions. I'm a pretty, in terms of like emotional spectrum, um, I am, I wear my emotions on my sleeve much more than Tyler does. Um, not to say that we're both not emotional people. It's just, we have different perspectives. We may have very different experiences mm-hmm. with emotions because of our personalities. So I'll jump in when I can add a, a personal take. Um, would you add anything? I'm curious here. So I, I don't hear people maybe using the word emotions a lot, but I hear people talking about mental health and self-care and stuff like that and how that should be talked about more. How much overlap do you think there is between, are these just different terms for the same thing? Or are you talking about a different thing from that stuff? So I think there's a lot of stuff out there in terms of like in, in the self-help genre of self-regulation, like the buzzword is emotional intelligence. Um, that's part of it, but I'm, I'm more interested not, I, I think, yes, I think self mental health is a, is a topic that's becoming more and more accepted in terms of talking about, but still we're very private about it. Like all, all the research I've done is, is from therapists. Like the thing that you actually get exposed to is therapists talking about their clients, but their clients are anonymous and they're, they're, they're the CEO of this. So there, there are frameworks out there for emotional intelligence, self-regulation, but there isn't a whole lot of people talking about their own experiences with that as a leader. Um, and but is mental story. health the lens? Like, I, I do hear podcasts and stuff where people say, like, people don't talk about mental health enough. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the struggles and all that. Is this different from that or just a different term or is it the same idea? Yeah. So it's one part, you know, one part is the mental health it's one part. And I would say that deeper within that, there's still like a lack of talking about that one part, but I'm, I'm more interested. I'm as interested. I'm interested in that, but I'm more interested in how our different levels of mental health and, and responses to emotions affect the work environment and getting shit done. Because when you, when you build a team and you want to like, you're going through this right now, right? Like with prioritizing the roadmap for the 2020, People have different opinions or say different things, react differently, and that can cause all sorts of domino effects um, across the organization, some positive, some negative. And part of the role as a leader is to create an environment where those things have positive effects, not negative effects, while also maintaining your own uh, you know, behavior. Yeah. So that's, okay. so that's, that's less I'm about my in. personal mental health and more about how does managing a company work when emotions are involved? Because they always are. Yeah. Okay. Yes, cool. exactly. Let's dive in. Um, so, uh, all right. So in terms of the, here, I, quickly outlining the approach I want to take. So I want to start with 
asking you some questions about your emotions as a leader. If it makes sense to talk about emotions in other situations to to draw comparisons, do so. But let's let's constrain ourselves to focusing on emotions as in your role as CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, we know you love Shelly. <laughs> yes, I was I was going to spend the next forty minutes talking about yeah. that if you hadn't stopped me. Perfect. Um, and, and then after we go through you, I'd like to move into your observations on how other emotions impact you and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe we can wrap up with how that bubbles up to a team level or the organization level. In other words, how it impacts the culture of an organization. Mm-hmm. Cool. Does that sound, sound sure. good? So I'll start with a, a general question see what, where it goes. What roles have emotions played in your business in the past? I mean, that's, that's pretty vague. Uh, I think I'm like, my personality is like you said, I do not wear emotions on my sleeve. I don't even think, I don't think I'm bottling them up. I think I don't feel emotions as strongly as a lot of people do. Uh, and so I would say emotions have not had a, you'll probably dive in and tell me I'm wrong, but like nothing comes to mind, uh, as emotions having a major influence on things, but th- I think that's both positive and negative. Like I think I've avoided a lot of the potential pitfalls, but there's also probably I haven't like maybe praised employees as much as I could have, or you, you know that type of thing. I think I'm right in the middle, probably. Have you ever noticed yourself using emotion in a situation and been like that was bad or that was good? Uh, if I think it's bad, it's almost always that I think I should have used emotion and I didn't. Interesting. Okay. So you think, emo- you, you think emotion's important and sometimes you don't use it when it's, when yeah, it should like, be used. So everybody's a different personality. And, um, I think actually it's not just me also Michael, who's the other main like leader here. Like he manages the largest team at the company and then I'm the CEO. I think both of us are pretty similar and that we're like, we're going to, we, we are empathetic and that we care about people. We're going to treat people well and all that. But uh, we don't necessarily express ourselves in a super like touchy feely type of way. Some employees don't need that, but maybe some do more. And like one in particular has told me that that would be like, that's a thing we need to do, be better at. Interesting. Um, and what do you do in response to that? Uh, some combination of feel bad and try to be better at it and not be better at it. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, um, it's like on my list that, but I'm not sure I have any answers for that quite yet. Like, cause I am who I am and my, I don't think my response should be to pretend to be someone else. Like I could come in in the morning and be like, Hey everybody, it's a beautiful day. I love you all. You know, but like, I, I shouldn't do that. I need to be authentic. I think one of the the things that I do well is I'm authentic and people know they're talking to the real me. So I don't want to lose that, but I, I also need to meet them halfway and say, well, you're someone who, I mean, one example of this is I think with our age and younger, a lot of people are uh, more likely to go to therapy and stuff like that than than people older than us. A lot of people who work here do. I don't. Uh, maybe I should, but like, I think I'm maybe just not. Uh, I need to like connect with kind of. I don't know. I need to tr- treat it like okay. I get that you need certain emotional nurturing that I don't naturally give. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think authenticity is is I think we've talked about that in the past. And if you give up authenticity, you give up a lot of yourself and you 
you might feel unhappiness right. or sadness. So, so I, th- uh, so you're protecting yourself against a negative feeling. Yeah, and this case. is more general than just emotion. But I do think when that situation comes up, when it's like I need to be a certain way, but that's not what I am. One option is the the quick option is fake it. The the long and better option is change who you are to some extent. Not like be a fake, but if I think there's something deficient in me, work to be a better person rather than pretend to be the person I think I should be. I like that. That's interesting. Um, well, let's take a step back and maybe talk about what emotion is for purpose of this conversation. So I've done my, in my preliminary research, I studied, I found a emotion wheel by, I'm going to kill this guy's name, this guy named Robert Plutchik. And I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. He's a, he was some sort of researcher, psychologist. Um, I don't know enough about him to give him proper credit, but he, he said that there, he, he concluded, and this is one of the models for emotion that there are four basic emotions or main emotions, happiness and its opposite sadness, uh, surprise and its opposite anticipation, trust and its opposite distrust, anger and its opposite fear. So I'm wondering if like, if we take happiness and sadness, do you feel those throughout the course of your time as CEO? Yeah, I mean, I, you hear a lot about kind of the roller coaster of a startup. And I think they're all muted for me because once again, I think I, I don't feel emotions as viscerally as a lot of people do, but I, st- it's still the same thing. Just like lower, it's the same roller coaster. Just, uh, the peaks and valleys are not as extreme, I think, but yeah, I mean, happiness happens all the time. You, you get a sale, you have a good month. Uh, you, you make a hire that you really were hoping for. Um, I think I run Lessening Serum in a way that minimizes sadness more than most startups because we're, we're not, it's not like it's all on the line and this is a make or break deal or anything. We've avoided that, which I think reduces some of it. But, you know, yeah, like you give a job offer to someone and they decline or someone leaves the company or something like that. Definitely sadness is a reaction to that, I think. Interesting. And and sounds like you, in what I'm kind of reading is that inside your head, you maybe have the emotion, but you don't express that. I mean, as much as other people, or is it, the, is it the feeling inside of you isn't as strong as other people too? I think it's, it isn't as strong probably. I, I don't know how much it is. I'm going to sound like such an asshole here. Like I have just an amazing life across the board, not, not just work, but work is part of it. Um, and to some extent humans do get used to like, if, if they're miserable all the time, they get used to being miserable. And if they're happy all the time, they get used to being happy. So I think I'm like really, really happy, but I also don't think it's like kind of background noise at this point where it's not like constantly, I'm not just being overwhelmed by happiness, you know? Yep. You seemed pretty happy when we went to, uh, that, that, uh, St. Louis blues hockey game though. Yeah. Well, uh, until they lost due to a bullshit call. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what about, um, trust and distrust? Do you ever have have any of these, if I, if I read, I read off those emotions, Mm -hmm. did any of those feel stronger for you than others? Or are they all about the same in terms of how you process them? Yeah. Some are definitely stronger than others. So happiness, sadness, surprise, anticipation, trust, distrust, anger, fear. Uh, so like, for example, anger and fear are supposed to be opposites. I feel fear a lot more than I feel anger. Um, but I feel, I think like the environment of lessening serum, there's a lot of trust. It's, I, um, trust, by the way, I should say is I have decided that's like my one word. If, if I were to do yoga or whatever, I think you're supposed to say like your mantra to yourself. If, if you just get one word for the rest of my career, my word is trust. I decided that earlier this year. Why did you decide um, that? J- 
just because I, I looked at all of the things that I feel good about and that work and, you know, they're all kind of disparate. Some are product related, some are about hiring and employees, some are about customers. And all of it has one thing in common, which is trust. Um, I think that's what Less Annoying CRM does well. That's what I do well. And it's what I really value and I don't want to lose. So um, that's the one that I want the most, I think. What does trust mean to you in that context? Um, I guess trust means, so when you're interacting with other people, uh, there's the potential for everyone to have different interests and you know different goals. And there's all this like, you can put up barriers and you can watch what you say and all this because you don't want to, um, you don't want to give the other person some reason to, you don't want to be vulnerable, basically. You don't want to cause something that is against your best interest. To me, trust is when two or more people are kind of like in agreement that even if our interests aren't the same or whatever, this is someone who's got my back and I don't have to like play politics with them, basically. I can tell them what I feel. They're going to tell me what they feel. If it works, I think like you and I have a lot of trust. We we disagree all the time, but we both know it's not going to like cause problems, which gives us more freedom to disagree rather than less. So when you're uh, saying your mantra in your head, what are the, what is that? How, how, what action does mm-hmm. that inspire for you? How do you express that emotion and how do you make sure that other people in your company are feeling that emotion too? Um, so, I mean, I'll give you a recent example. We've been talking about product development and, you know, we were talking about, should we launch a new product? Should we raise prices? Should we do all this? And at the end of the day, what we ended up with was we're not going to do anything. We're going to stick at $10 and change nothing. And we were pretty close to a standstill at, in terms of what to do. And trust was kind of the the north the, the guiding light there where it's like our customers have certain expectations set if we're not sure what the right thing to do is it'd be stupid to rock the boat here and and make them go through a change cycle when they don't have to to me trust was the reason for that decision so you basically use trust as almost a core value on how you treat your customers yeah i don't think i like you're the type of person you have a lot of experience like formalizing this and you know ma- making it a document and sending it to people and maybe i should do that i don't have this formalized but I know the word trust is important. I know the concept's important. And I try to apply that when it seems relevant. Yeah. What's another example of maybe a interpersonal relationship that you have with another coworker where you've actively built trust? And what are some of the things that you've done? And I would be more interested in someone you didn't know before Less Annoying CRM. So someone that you met as the CEO and you have... Gone, you have built trust with mutual both both ways. What are the things that that person has done, and what are the things that you've done to grow that trust? Okay. Do you want me? To, you want me to like name a specific person here? If you feel comfortable doing so. Yeah, sure. I think he listens. So, hey, Robert, how's it going? <laughs> uh, and you met Robert at my bachelor party. Um, yeah, I mean, we hired him, and uh, he was a CRM coach at first, and did HR work, and is now kind of the lead developer. Um, I trust a lot of, I mean, I trust everybody who works here, but he, uh, in particular, he's, he does HR. He's got access to absolutely everything. Like if anyone could ruin the company after me and my brother, it's him. Uh, he, you know, has every bank account, everything. Um, I think that to me, well, I, I have no idea what I, I didn't intentionally build trust with him. So I can't answer that, but what he did to build trust with me and what a lot of people here do is it's when you see them do something that's not in their own best interest, but they do it because they think it's right or some set of values. If you see someone act based on values rather than uh, personal interest, to me, that's a sign, especially when they don't know you're watching. Uh, that's a sign that 
you know, at least once in their life, they made that hard ethical choice. Not, I mean, it might not be that hard, but it's like they could have been lazy and cut a corner here and they didn't. Uh, that's to me a pretty strong trust builder. Character. Mm-hmm. Integrity. Yeah. Interesting. I actually think a lot of people are are much, I think the world lacks trust, but it's not individual people, it's systems. Because everyone we've hired here, I can't name anybody where I'm like, no, I don't trust that person. But I think take any of us, take me and put me in some like horrible corporate hellhole where the company doesn't have my back. I would become untrustworthy immediately. I'd be a mercenary, you know? Interesting. So it's almost like if someone has anyone, I'm, I'm going to p- come back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this led me down another path. Uh, has it, have you ever given someone trust and then had them re- at the, at less knowing serum? Maybe this is something you can keep anonymous mm-hmm. and been returned distrust. And that caused you to distrust that person back. Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, I've only had one person who, who's no longer at the company that like we had like real interpersonal conflict um, while working together. Uh, definitely, I think he didn't trust me. Um, I think I, yeah, I think I came to to not trust him to some extent. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think if trust was like the core problem there. And I, I don't know that it was. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a more concrete answer there. No, that's that's fine. It sounds like you do a really good job of building trust at Less Knowing Serum, make it a really safe place to and, work. Yeah, if I can, like one reason, I don't view trust as a particularly emotional, th- like happiness and surprise and stuff like that. I'm bad at those. Trust is boring and conservative and logical, which like I think I'm good at. And so I think it'll, it, it, it seems clear to me that that should be my strength versus su- like surprise, like, I don't give people birthday presents, you know, <laughs> that's not me. But you, uh, do you value the feeling of trust when you feel trust in someone? Do you know what that feels like and go, oh, that feels good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing with distrust. Like when you feel distrust, that feels really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as CEO, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a time where I felt distrust. I feel distrust towards third parties all the time. Where, you know, this person's just trying to sell to me or whatever, but it's nice. I felt that today. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got a little cranky about uh, a bad (laughs) sales email. (laughs) Yep. Um, no, yeah, I, uh, I like trust a lot. I, I value the, being a CEO is great because if you distrust someone, uh, you just lock them out entirely. (laughs) Like it's nice, uh, uh, having the power to like, not necessarily be the victim of it. Like someone's going to be the victim of distrust, but it's not necessarily going to be me. Yeah, I think um, I I don't know, I don't know how many companies and CEOs prioritize trust like you do, but it seems like that prevents a lot of other symptomatic things from happening that could have been prevented by only hiring and keeping people that you have a high amount of mutual trust with. Yeah, um, it's a lesson. I I don't think I did a good job of that uh, in the past. Yeah, I think it's super. I, I, I'm not sure I did this intentionally, but there have definitely been times where I, I have had, I don't want to say conflict, but like I've been, my interests have been misaligned with an employees. Like they, they just think something, you know, I, I think we should be doing something else. Or I personally am not finding this job as fulfilling as I could or whatever. And, uh, one thing I really value and I appreciate about their maturity about this. No one's ever suggested I did anything wrong or, they got screwed over or anything. It's always like every employee who's left, for example, it's always been on great terms because they're just like, this is not what I want to be doing right now, but it's no one's fault. You know, it's always been positive. That's cool. Um, what about, uh, 
do you, do you ever have anticipation or anxiety around things? Um, yes. Uh, so probably aside from that one person I was mentioning that like we had real conflict, um, aside from that, I'd say the main thing that causes me stress is when a potentially bad outcome starts to happen. Like if an employee tells me something like there's a, there's a potential problem, it always gets resolved and it's always fine. But that time between when it, I become aware of it and we figure out what to do about it. That's probably my least favorite moment running a company. The unknown. Yeah. I don't know if that's anticipation, but yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Um, if you think about like, if you had to like characterize the most emotional thing, it could be the most trusting thing, distrusting thing, happy thing of, at your 10 years as, is it nine or 10? 10, 10 years. Yeah, a little over 10 now. Ten, uh, 10 years at Less Annoying CRM, what would that moment be? Um, the, the happiest I feel is generally when we're celebrating, uh, some kind of milestone or something when it's, it's not work hours, it's a party. Like, uh, one of the, uh, I think I mentioned, yeah, this happened while we were doing the podcast for my 10 year anniversary. Uh, everyone surprised me with a shabu shabu night at the office. Everyone got drunk and the, the, the tradition is everyone toasts each other. And that's the type of thing. There have been a handful of parties and stuff like that where I that's about as high as I've ever felt in my life. Um and then yeah, the worst is I'm trying to think. It's it's probably when someone leaves the company. Um it's always been on good terms, but especially when only this only ha happened a few times, but when like an earlier employee who was really like a core part like every company is a combination of the culture of the first few people they hired. And one of one of those people's leaves, it's like there's no way for a new hire to replace that. They can they can replace the work output, but they can't replace the cultural importance that that person had. Hmm. Um, I, I, another broad question. So that's we just talked about how you feel emotions, and it sounds like you you feel them, but you don't express them very vividly. You're pretty neutral most of the time. Mm -hmm. What? what what should the role of emotions be relative to where you are now? For me or for like, I, I don't know if there's a one. Do you think there's a one size fits all answer to this? I would say for your situation, mm -hmm. for based on your situation and for your company that you're building, do you need to be, do you feel like emotions getting more in touch with your emotions, mm -hmm. expressing emotions more vividly? could make you a better leader in some way. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Do you know what those are? I mean, I think one thing, like I was kind of referencing this earlier that I could definitely be better about is basically praising people. And like, I feel a level of pride and happiness about everyone who works here. Uh, I don't, I don't have any kids, so I don't know what that feels like, but it, I think like when people describe, no, you don't get what kids it's like, it's like this. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what I feel being a boss. Um, I don't, I, I think if I just laid that on heavier than I do, that would probably, not that morale is a problem, but it would, people would be even happier probably. In other words, it's not a feeling thing. That's an expression thing. Yeah. I and, do think you know, I feel you, you, you feel that, you feel that. And it's like, Hey, the, some people don't know that. Yeah. As much as you want them. I, I, that's true. But I, I do think my feelings, my emotions are more muted. Like, for example, I don't cry, not because I'm trying to be a man and, and, and just like, I don't, I've, 
it's been years since I've felt the emotion to cry, you know? When was the last time you cried? I know I cried when I watched Titanic. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> I mean, I was a kid, but yeah, <laughs> I absolutely did. <laughs> That's the last vivid memory of crying. No, I, I've definitely cried since then, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I do think I, f- I feel the emotions and I don't show them, but I also think I'm, I'm just like naturally less emotional. A lot of people who work here kind of have told me, and I really admire them for being so open about it. They're just like, look, I'm pretty emotional. Sometimes shit gets real and I need to go lock myself in a room for a little bit. So fair warning, <laughs> you know, I don't have that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what Last time you were in Park City, this is getting outside the business context, but I'm interested in your thoughts on it. Uh, I've discovered or rediscovered your favorite, your taste in music, which is <laughs> what I would call highly emotional music. Um, I see. I disagree. Okay. So heavy metal, heavy metal yep. uh, fear factory, kill switch engage, which I just discovered. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that, that are playing some serious, loud, aggressive guitars mm-hmm. and screaming, right? Yeah. So like, what? why is that not emotional? Well, I was in a bunch of bands when I was younger. So I, I, I have like very real experiences with this because I had to like, I love the music and I hate the culture of heavy metal because it's all about like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you. Rah, 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 and I'm, I'm not like an angry person. So I was like up on stage with flip flops and my water polo t-shirt on like playing death metal. Uh, the reason I like it is um, heavy metal is the closest thing to a popular form of music that is very, very technically challenging. Um, classical and jazz are this way too, but no one likes those. Like kids don't like it's boring. Um, heavy metal, I think, brings the same level of uh, musical technical ability, like difficulty of playing it, that like you just don't get from a typical country song or pop song or something like that. That's why I like it. I never had the anger that, you know, metal singers seem to have. <laughs> like I, I was in a, a heavy metal band in college and one of my classmates at Wash U was the other guitarist in it. We were both guitarists. We wrote all the songs. Every song was named after what we were studying in calculus. So there was like Laplace Transform, Jacobian Coefficient. The songs were about math because we just didn't have anything that we wanted to write songs about. But were you angry at the math? No, we were just like, it's all screaming. No one can tell what you're saying anyway. So if you're just screaming about an equation, like whatever. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So switching gears, I want to talk about your observations of your employees expressing emotion. Mm -hmm. You you just mentioned that you had an employee who said, sometimes I need to go lock myself in a room. Mm -hmm. How have you, what are some examples of emotional, you know, moments for a team member that you can describe. And I'd love for you to tell, you know, stories about how maybe like one, one story of like how it, that moment positively impacted other people mm-hmm. and maybe another moment where it negatively impacted another, another team member. Okay. So a positive one's pretty easy, which is, so w- one of these people, uh, anyone who works at the company knows who I'm talking about based on the story I'm about to tell, but I'm, I'm not going to use their name anyway. Uh, came to me and basically said, like, this was the person I mentioned earlier who said, like, you saying to me, like, Tyler, you don't, you're not uh, expressive enough. I need praise. Like, that's something I need. I've been talking to my therapist. That's like a thing I need. Um, And what they decided to do is as their 20% project, they were previously going in a different direction, working on other stuff. And they were like, this company needs more nurturing and praise. So I'm going to make that my 20% project. And so they 
started planning more company events. They started celebrating everyone's birthday and celebrating work anniversaries. Uh, at a bigger company, it's always someone's job to do this stuff. But as we've grown, just no one really took ownership of that. And that was great. Like, it's something we needed done and it, it filled in for my deficiencies. It, it almost like, I know I still need to get better, but it also gave me a little bit of relief where it's like, not everyone has to be good at everything. Someone else is handling the the stuff that I don't that doesn't come naturally to me now. Yeah, if you if you're aware self aware enough to know where you're, what's called emotionally weak, mm-hmm. you can fill that void with someone who has a strength in that category. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Now, what about a negative situation? Um, okay, where Were someone you about to say so- well, sorry, no, I, didn't, I didn't have a great point to make. Don't don't worry okay. about it. Uh, a situation where someone has expressed emotions and it's led to negative outcomes, something like that. I, I'm I'm more interested in, um, I'm I'm interested in it when someone's had an emotional reaction to something that resulted in pain, for or slower progress, in the near term, in the short term. Yeah. So the person that I was mentioning that uh, I had real conflict with, there's tons of examples of this. They, they're all isolated to me. One thing I'll give him credit for is he was the ultimate professional in that there were all these things going on in his head that were, were driving him crazy. And no one else at the company except me was aware any of that was happening until he left. Um, but I'll say there were a lot of times where something happened that to me was very, very minor. Like literally in one case, it was the type of coffee that we picked for our coffee machine. I don't even drink coffee. I don't care what the coffee is. It's, I just, it was basically a vote and people voted and we picked that coffee. And he took it as a slight, like basically I, it's the opposite of trust. Like he thought that this was, you know, I was not taking care of his coffee preferences or something like that. And a bunch of emotion got uh, attached to something that really to me was completely unemotional. And it, it just blew up and turned into this huge thing where it's like, okay, you know, what do we got to do to make this right? I'll buy you whatever coffee you want. No, it's not about the coffee. It's about this other stuff. I don't know. It's like very vague because it was like a really specific situation, but it happened a lot with him. Interesting. So what about like two other people? Have you ever had to be the the moderator of a problem? Have have any team members ever had a problem that they needed you to come in and help resolve that got to that emotional, unhealthy emotional state? No, I don't think so. I think that... uh the start of that type of thing has maybe happened before. Like two people have different work styles. One's a little more shoot from the hip. Let's just go and, you know, create a lot of work for ourselves and figure out how to do it later. And the other person's more methodical. Like, no, I need checklists. I need a plan. And that basically they were working on a project together. It could have turned ugly, but a, both of them had trust and like each other. And so they were giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And then B, uh, the person who did have a problem came to me and was like, not mad or anything, just like this, you know, I think there's problems with this project. And I was just like, it was very easy to fix as soon as it was said out loud, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just helped them get, get everything out. I mean, in that case, it was as simple as just being like, got it. Don't work on this project anymore. <laughs> like it was fixed yep. immediately. You done, yeah. be done with it. <laughs> um, cool. What, um, do you, it's really you're really a, kind of an interesting situation because it sounds like you have a really healthy culture, and I, I I don't know how unique that is, but with all the negative commentary out there, 
like Glassdoor, social media yeah. about about employers, it seems like you have a pretty unique situation. Do you think it's unique or do you think it's, are you copying someone? Or are you just doing your own thing? I think it's unique. I'm, I'm definitely learning from people, although I think every company who, what it, what it really comes down to is to have a culture like this, you have to have uh, in, like uh, making, maximizing money can't be your primary goal. And at most companies it is. I have thought before about this. Would I be like I, I? I would like to think I'm a good leader at this company. Would I be at a different company? And I this is not be me being falsely modest. I think the answer is actually no. And I think one of the reasons is because of all the stuff we've talked about here. Like I would be terrible. Like at a big pu- publicly traded company, a manager's job is to represent shareholders and effectively squeeze as much labor out of the workers as possible and pay them as little as possible. Um, I mean, that's like a very cynical take on it, but it's directionally something like that and i think i would be terrible at that partially for emotional reasons like to some extent you have to be able to manipulate people you have to be able to like really be inspired the stuff i'm bad at like you if, if you're putting people in a shitty situation the only way to keep them engaged is to be this like rah rah leader get people excited you know give praise so i think the only reason i can get away with it is because we don't have uh like I guess the whole thing's holistic, like the the business model, our customers, it all connects and allows me and Michael to manage the way we do. But I, I don't think it would work everywhere. In other words, it's in a, it, I could be a CEO at a company, but because I don't have the cap table that you have, I don't have the same owners mm-hmm. um, and the motivations are different. I might not be able to create a similar work environment that uh, that you have at Lesson Ranks here in? I think so. I think shareholders would hate the culture we've got because there are a lot of employees here who would be willing to work 10 hours a week more and I tell them to go home. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> um, and depending on what your goals are, it's it's a terrible way to run a business. But you're happy. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing is I think there, there's a difference between if if the only point is to make money, that's one thing. But like this is, I spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing this. I'm much more interested in making the environment one that doesn't stress me out. But if the owner of the company isn't working at the company, they would have no reason to value that. That's really interesting. I I, I don't want to go any further. I, I, I think I'll just kind of move to my takeaways. Do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I. Uh, this was more a more interesting discussion than I expected. It's, you know, not something people, like you said, not something people talk about a lot. So, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, go, go for it. Yeah. So I, I think a couple of things stood out. One is I do, I actually think your emphasis on creating a safe environment, trust, prioritizing trust as the mantra actually makes it so that these other emotions that you and other people experience happen in a way that is healthy and has mostly positive impacts on other people on the team environment and on the culture. Um, and I didn't, I guess that makes total sense. Uh, when you're in a distressing situation, emotions are, are probably more violent in a negative way. Whereas if you're in a trusting environment, it's, it's, it's the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's more, it's violent, but it could be violent, but maybe less violent, but, but in a good way. Well, a word that we haven't said yet is boring. And I think like the downside to a lot of what I'm talking about is like a lot of people could run very, very happy companies, but there'd be, it'd be a little bit more like up and down um, because a lot of people need that for excitement. 
And I think that the culture we have here is healthy and safe, but it's also boring. You don't have the drama. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are, there may be some people who prefer the drama to. Yeah. Life life needs variety, right? Like you need ups and downs, even if the alternative is all ups that a lot of people aren't happy with that. (laughs) Uh, The other thing is I, I kind of, I appreciated your definition on trust. I think, I think there's a big element of knowing that the other party has character, which lets you know that they have maybe interests other than their own that will drive behavior. I think there's also another thing that I was thinking of, and it's along the lines of competence. When I hired a lot of people that I trusted individually as people, but I put them in roles where they were incompetent or not incompetent is probably the wrong word, but not confident in themselves, not able to do the job up to my expectations. And that kind of led to a cycle of distrust. So I, I guess I wonder how, how thoughtful are you about not putting people in situations that stretch their competence? This is probably another way in which, like I was saying near the end here, that I'm, I'm not a great manager. I, I definitely don't push people very hard. Um, a couple people at the company have kind of raised their hands privately to me and said, I like, this is not just a nine to five. I really want to push myself and that's been fine. But if someone doesn't do that, uh, I don't push them. That probably hurts their personal and professional development. It gets, it means they're less productive. So that's probably a downside to this. Yeah. Well, I would, I'm going to totally disagree with you on that. I think it's actually your secret sauce. Um, I think one of the things I did really poorly at PeopleKeep is I would hire people for a position that that they had competence for oftentimes, but then I would expect 10x that role and mm. challenge them. I, th- I saw it as my job to challenge them to be the best person they could be and and the best employee, like the most impactful employee they could be. And it, you know, the one percent, two percent of people were like, "This is great," <laughs> you know, you know, I love this. It's exactly what I wanted. But most people were, were resentful about it. Not not in the moment, but like just completely unhappy and distrust. Distrusting is the right word. It caused so much cycles of distrust both ways. So I know we're hitting up against an hour here, but so a comment on that: um, if you and I were both able to work for me now or you at PeopleKeep, we'd both rather work for you. Like we would both want the the person pushing us, even if it's a little more stressful and all that. And I think there's an you don't think so? No. I don't. I I think you'd be bored as hell. No, because I would go to you and get the extra stuff, just like you got the people doing <laughs> yeah. that at your place. It should be optional. At a, it should be default optional to do more than what is required of you, and and that's it. And and that's that makes it that makes it safe. That's fair. But so the point I was trying, uh, I was getting at is. A lot of people who are interested in entrepreneurship want to work at Less Annoying CRM. And generally speaking, I'm like, this: A, I'm not interested, and B, you shouldn't be interested. This is a culture designed to hire people for a company that's going to be around for 40 years, not a company that's going to exit in five years. And I think if that's your goal is to exit, I think like I, I would do a lot of things very, very differently. Um, and, and that's one of them is like someone who's really trying to like advance their career super, super fast. This is not a good environment for them. I buy that if money is their mo- long-term motivator. Yep. If money's the motivator, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So right. that was really helpful. I really appreciate you diving into that. Uh, anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I don't think so. Cool. Uh, 
All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. Also, if you um, are willing, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast app of your choice. It'll help us get discovered and reach more people. See you next week.